if you want to change the world, power is necessary. How do we give more people more power? Mm-hmm. How do we change the world in the way that we want to from a place of positivity and good through power? Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hello, Creating Community for Good podcast listeners. This is Lindsay Simons, your host. And today we have Letty McNeil Light. She's the executive director for Principal Gifts and Strategic Initiatives at Cal Berkeley and a remarkable philanthropy evangelist. I'm thrilled to have her on here. Today, we're going to talk about the six bases of power as cited in the 1959 French and Raven research. So much more than that, we talk about what it means to show up at work and provide opportunities for others to be empowered and to consider what power do you usually default to or what do you yield? And then how can you change that in order to be a more mindful leader and influencer? If you're listening to this in real time, we are at the beginning of 2021, and I am just absolutely thrilled to be here on the mic again today. I did consider wrapping up the podcast for a moment there, but upon reflection, I just realized I love this so deeply, and I received so many words of encouragement through emails, texts, and support over the last nine months that I decided to continue on. And so I'm really excited that we launched the new year. I want you to know that I find the most precious moments of inspiration and humor and authenticity in the most basic conversations. I had a great conversation with a friend just last night where I was dying laughing and wishing that that was part of my podcast. So With that learning and with that observation, my commitment to you is that I will continue to bring my most authentic self to these podcast interviews and continue to lead a natural and flowing conversation rather than something that is scripted. I've been studying how to become a better podcaster. And certainly there are recommendations to have more control over the conversation and to manage the guest a little bit tighter. I am committed to being a great host and navigator, but I'm also committed to leaving space for the raw moments, for the pauses, the laughter, the personal insights. I'm really interested in what happens behind the scenes and inside a human. What are the motivators for what they're offering on this show? We'll also stick with strategy for fundraisers as well as for donors and for community members who are interested in becoming board members, volunteers. I also want to make sure that this is something that my friends and family who aren't in the same sector as I am are enjoying as well. So I have conversations with people in the for-profit business, people who are experts at recruiting, experts at communicating, social media, the art of the ask, and so much more. So I hope that you continue on this journey with me and continue to send me emails, texts, messages in whatever form that you and I usually communicate. And let me know what you think about it. Let me know what you'd like to see more of and what turns you on, what excites you about the conversations that we have around creating community for good. And with that, here we go. Here's Letty. So Letty, thank you so much for joining us here at Creating Community for Good. 
podcast. I'm pumped to have you on and um, excited to talk about leadership and groups with you. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I will admit I haven't done very many of these. And so it's exciting to top off the year with this new experience and to be as valuable to you and others as possible. Well, thank you. You have so much insight to share. And I know that you've been really focusing in and studying group dynamics, power, leadership, coming from a position of power and leadership at UC Berkeley. I wonder if you'll just start with setting the table for us with giving us a background about a little bit who you are and how you came into the position that you are now and what's got you thinking about groups. So, you know, I think every psychologist will start from the beginning, you know, whatever happens in your childhood shapes the rest of right. <laughs> so I will actually start there by just laying the groundwork that I came from very, very humble means, primarily raised by my mother. And, you know, but had a great set of friends, many of whom I'm still friends with today. And so kind of finding your community wherever you are in any of your life stages, I think it's always so important. And I grew up in Maplewood, New Jersey, and then went off to school in upstate New York in Ithaca. And that's where I kind of met one of my greatest challenges in that moment where my parents sat me down to tell me that they couldn't afford to send me to Cornell and that I couldn't go. And, you know, that put me in tears. It was really difficult. And that was a moment of testing of resilience and figuring it out and figuring out what the options were, what the assets were that were out there that were available to me and making it happen and ending up going anyway as a result of that. How did you make it happen? Well, this is the story of where philanthropy first showed up in my life. I have no concept of that at all. We'll skip forward to later in my life and what I do now, but concepts of wealth and that kind of generosity were completely unknown to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But working with the university and finding out what scholarships were available, what federal aid was available, and kind of cobbling that together is how I was able to pull it together and why I consider myself a philanthropy evangelist now because I know from very firsthand experience the power and how it can transform people's lives. I did go to school and that is where I first started kind of working in philanthropy because frankly I needed a job and <laughs> I started off as a development assistant to try to, you know, pay for school and bills and all that stuff. And that's when not only was I a beneficiary, but kind of peeling back the layers of like how that works, how that flows, how institutions work with philanthropists, even that whole world. So starting off first in my senior class campaign and then working in that position in union campaigns, that's kind of how that career began. And then I worked in a few different areas in that university context. And then in... 2007, my then fiance, now husband, and I moved to LA and I worked as a lead in development for engineering and technology and then also in the medical center in the neurosciences in particular. And then about five years ago, there was this interesting opportunity that a uh, former colleague who had already moved up to Berkeley reached out about. And it was kind of really bringing a bunch of interests together in neuroscience and technology. And I'd also at the exact same time been reached out to another opportunity still in LA 
And that was a much more traditional role with an established team and kind of priority set. But there was something about this Berkeley opportunity that felt Mm. distinct. So there was a lot of risk in it because it had never been done before. Um, Nobody had been in the role before. This was a new experiment by the university. I meant to say what it is. It was to launch the efforts for the Berkeley Brain Initiative, bringing together the neuroscientists, the engineers, the psychologists, like a wide range of disciplines in a university-wide effort that wasn't about the traditional, you know, alumni-based approach, but a cause-based approach. But there was something about the culture of the people here. It felt like people were showing up for the mission first. And Egos aside and hierarchy and structure aside and taking a risk because this felt like this is the right and necessary thing to do. That just, I was reminded of that the statement that Sheryl Sandberg made about the advice she got of when you see the rocket ship taking off and it's going in the right direction, just get on and figure it out later. That's not the exact quote, but that's the, the essence of it. And it just felt like this was going in a really interesting direction with interesting people. And I would get a chance to be a part of that and actually lead it and shape it very significantly. And that was really exciting. Love that. And then from there, I joke how my role goes like this about every six to nine months or so. That was the first experiment. And then we started trying on more and more of these, what we call initiatives-based approaches and genomics and data science and climate change. And we actually, you know, formed a new model around that. And that's where kind of my expertise has been forming in that transformational scale philanthropy for those cause-based opportunities. Yeah. I think that's really interesting that you're centering around a challenge or a cause more so than a discipline. I started, I guess when it was Yeah, when I moved to San Francisco and started working at UCSF Medical Center, we too were trying to really aggregate cross-disciplinary sciences from the bench to bedside is always that coin phrase that you hear in academic medicine, really trying to bring together different disciplines. And I find that approach, it wasn't until then, and then working with the March of Dimes as well, who was doing a cross-disciplinary approach across the country with different institutions that I learned about how universities have been incentivized to silo the research so that they can then create the name recognition and the first and only best and all the awards, but how our problems are bigger than ever before and the power of community or of different ways of thinking, different disciplines and experiences can really accelerate the learning so much faster. They're too complex for any one discipline to be able to solve. Right. And it's right. analogous to the now widely understood importance of diversity of teams and diversity of perspectives and experiences and thought coming to the table because you, you will get a better product. We need better products, which is why we need different disciplines and expertise and dis- disciplines coming together if we have any chance of solving some of these like big societal challenges. Yeah. So, Letty, you've been talking a lot about groups and how people get together, why they do, and then how to actually make them sing together. I think that you've done some interesting research on it and learnings along the way through your leadership at Berkeley, but also through women's initiatives that you're launching. Will you share a little bit about some of the core groups that you're managing? And then let's talk about what have you been learning? 
Sure. So formally in my role at Berkeley, I lead the frontline team for principal gifts and strategic initiatives. And so that's a, a group of senior gift officers, as well as some additional colleagues who work with us to advance that work. And in addition to that, there's a new national organization that we just incorporated, the Strategic Initiatives Group for Advancement Professionals. That is building on what over the last nine or 10 years or so has been an informal gathering that has been happening among colleagues who have been doing this new, weird, specialized work of kind of initiative cause-based fundraising in higher education, where there's not a built-in constituency, and we are establishing both big ideas and big philanthropic partnerships in a way that just hasn't been done prior to the last 10 years or so. So that's a, an organization that's now been convened formally, incorporated formally. And how many of you are there? Well, the way it shows up is historically, it's been an annual conference. Obviously, 2020 has made that impossible. So we had to very quickly adapt and figure out how we still add value to the community. So the, the conference is intentionally kept intimate to about 50 senior leaders from across the country representing universities, of course, like Berkeley, MIT, Columbia, Duke, UCSF. There's a wide range of top tier universities that participate in that and their leadership that participates. With 2020 pivoting us the way it did, what it allowed us to do to was actually be more open and more expansive in terms of who can participate in our convenings and our conversations about how we do this work in our own institutions, how we collaborate to do this work across institutions. There are cases in which the same philanthropist is engaging with many of us at the same time. And, you know, how do we share that opportunity collectively as an example? So it's been interesting that we can go to a much broader scale of participant, including thinking about our colleagues who are up and coming in their careers and mm -hmm. how we can be more open to supporting the interests and the needs of both those of us who are in senior roles and grappling with this, as well as those who are uh, developing their expertise around this too. Mm, yeah. And then there are a few boards that I'm on. There's Cora Northern California that mm -hmm. develops civic leadership and engagement. And then there's also the Headland Center for the Arts. That's a kind of a personal passion reward system. I work so much in the sciences that it, that gives me a chance to be in a more artistic environment in a way that I deeply appreciate. Well, you have a very artistic interior design. I love the back, what I can see in the backdrop here. <laughs> a lot of good groupings of the photos. Are those uh, holiday cards or photos back there? I love those it. Holiday wishes. We put those up here. We got more oh, to add. They're so cute. I know there's, there is something that I've read about like how important it is to bundle bunches of things. And I just don't have that creative eye that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. The little things in life. Well, I'm glad that you have some fun and get into the arts and <laughs> creative expression. Thanks. So you are also committed as a battery powered member and a what an ambassador is that the title that, that you have? Yeah, yeah. And you're creating a women's group. 
That's right. So my partner in that is Kristen Hayden. So I'll give her a little shout out there. Earlier this year, I got a call from her saying, you know, they're trying to start this group and have asked me to do it and thinking about who else can help move this forward. And so she invited me to be her partner in doing that. And it's been a really wonderful and interesting learning experience for me, I have to say. Yeah. So let me back up and say the through line for the programming that we're putting together is women Mm -hmm. in power, leadership, and influence themes here. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So we've had a session on women getting onto corporate boards. And that was kind of a really eye-opening experience Mm. for all of us involved, myself included. We've talked about women and investing, so women and money. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to some other ideas that are forming around giving back through mentorship and investing in women-led VCs and Mm. uh, startups. Okay. So if you think about how women are in power and how you're in power, and of course we've got like racial dynamics that is on the top of everybody's conversation these days with diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm wondering what does power even mean and how do you create opportunities for women to be in power or minorities to be in power? Or what does it look like in a group dynamic when you've got natural leaders in the room and natural followers in a room? Or maybe it's the outspoken ones and the quiet ones. You know, it's a verbal processor versus a, what would be the other? Like a, a listening processor? Or what's the opposite of a verbal processor? Maybe whatever the form of in writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So there are different types, right? Yeah. So there's like um, visible power and then there's internal power and mm-hmm. personality styles. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned when we were chatting recently that there are six core ways of identifying power. Can you expand on that a little bit? Expand on it. So I think that that's through line for me would probably be just because my brain is so there right now is how one maximizes their positive sphere of influence. And that's where the power dynamics come. Understanding the six elements of power, taking an inventory for yourself of what that is and where you are among those six areas spectrum. And also how you can build that in other people. If you want to change the world, you need power. How you can do more through others. And that's the whole purpose of teams. So power is something I've been thinking about very deeply in the last several weeks as a kind of probably like a pinnacle of trying to process this year. I will go back to May of this year when George Floyd was killed. And that crushed me in a way that I just did not I just hadn't ever experienced before, like crying hard, Mm -hmm. deep tears every day for several weeks at a time. And I think part of it was having all of your greatest fears about my and people like my family and like our position in this country being Mm -hmm. ripped to the surface and also just kind of like witnessing someone being murdered for it repeatedly. I've never seen anything like that before. And so that's so sorry kind of to hear. the processing of what is this? What is going on? I will say that the way I was able to get out of that period was thinking through that as painful as this is and as painful mm-hmm. as this year is. And as much as it may not feel like it, 
progress has been made over generations, right? This is a long haul struggle to be better as a nation in many dimensions, including in human justice and social justice. And it's been sadly way worse in the past. And this is more exceptional than normal as it right. was in the past. So there are improvements being made. But it still obviously raises a lot of questions. There are a lot of challenging conversations happening now for the better, which are good. People are facing difficult things and facing fears as individuals and collectively. And as I was able to shift back into focusing on what's possible and the positive, this is where it kind of power started to come to the surface of, if you want to change the world, power is necessary. I think when people think about power, they often think of it in the negative. That is one dimension of the six ways, but there are many elements to it. I will attribute this to a couple of social psychologists, uh, French and Raven, who did this work. And the six dimensions are labeled as legitimate, reward, expert, referent, coercive, and information. I'm not an expert on this, but I can just share what I've been learning about those dimensions. And this is framed as um, the kind of power within organizations. But what's interesting about them, or what I've been thinking about, is how they show up in other dimensions, right? So legitimate is positional. You know, what is your the title or the authority that's been bestowed upon you that you have? And that's just a reminder that while that is one form of power, it's certainly not the only. I think we all know, as you were saying, those natural leaders who are able to influence so much independent of whatever their title or position might be. Yeah, they can just command a room, walk in and everybody's watching. Yeah, like you. Well, that's right. (laughs) But that, what you just described is reference. That's the magnetism, what they can inspire in others, that kind of personality that inspires confidence and so many other positive emotions that make people want to be a part of whatever they're doing. That's the kind of referent power. Then you have reward, somewhat literally, you know, what can you provide to others that helps build their cooperation with you? The flip side of that being coercive power, and that's the kind of negative one that's associated quite often, you know, be it for the stick to the carrot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay force or punishment or, you know, those kind of critical elements. Okay. Interesting. There's expertise as a power, you know, having a a real skill set that gives unique value and that can be offered. You know, there's a relation here to reward, obviously. Having a specific skill set is in itself a form of power. And Mm. related but distinct is information. The ability Mm. to kind of hold information back or the power to influence through information, um, you know, what journalists do. So, you know, there are like really interesting examples of how these many dimensions are showing up in the world right now. On the information side, there's everything that's going on with social media as an example, Mm. the risk Uh of that kind of power perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then there's the power of the press and the deep importance of journalism and protecting journalism and that freedom that comes with it, as an example. When I think about expertise, 
that's one of the ways to lift up a people is that they be educated. Like education mm. is one of the greatest upward mobility engines there are. Um, right. Because we're giving people the expertise to have the freedom to make decisions for themselves and others in a more informed way. It's just right. really interesting, you know, what it takes. And so my conclusion is in thinking through all this is how do we give more people more power? Mm. How do we change the world in the way that we want to from a place of positivity and good through power? And how, mm. how do we enhance that for ourselves and, you know, taking an inventory for ourselves, but also how do we expand that for others too? So what do you think is your, what are your power trifectas? Do you have one that you lead with or multiple or how does one start identifying their own power and then identify others? Is it like the Myers-Briggs where you can say, oh, I, I lead with this? Yeah, you know, I don't know what the specific methodologies are, but I was planning on like doing literally like a little drawing of each one. Like, how would I grade myself? On, yeah. You know, this, this dimension of it and you know, all six of them are important. They all show up in life one way or one time or another. And it's important to understand, I think, how to use them well and effectively. But I do think it's a good thing just as a place to start of like, how would you grade yourself on each one of these dimensions? And of going back yeah. to that earlier topic, I think a lot about my teams and my team members and each individual, I'm like, where are they on these dimensions? And what do I need to do to support them in elevating any particular one or providing feedback on others that perhaps mm. need to be pulled back into balance and really being brave enough to be explicit about that as human beings that are trying to move the world forward in a positive way. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating to imagine how do you cultivate power for young people or people who are not culturally incentivized to have power. I had a very interesting conversation with Alana Karen just a couple of weeks ago, who is a leader at Google, and she talked a lot about how she's a very small woman. And so when she walks in the room, people don't give her a lot of credit. She doesn't have the the reference power. Reference, yeah. yeah. You know, being tall or taking up space. As right, exactly. So she says she doesn't feel that she has a lot of that reference power, but that she's been able to cultivate and harness, I guess it would probably be more of the information and expertise power and that she's very articulate and eloquent and able to communicate complex concepts quickly to many different types of learners or listeners. Mm-hmm. And she did a series of interviews with her her book that she just launched about women are why women are in tech and why they stay there. And she was interviewing families that were in Asian communities and African American and Caucasian and that each of these women have entirely different constructs of how they're supposed to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that's well known, right? Beyond her research, I think we can all arguably say that we know that there are stereotypes about different groupings, even though they may not work for every individual, there are stereotypes. So how do you think you cultivate more power from somebody who's not naturally comfortable in her power or mm-hmm. doesn't have that reference 
or doesn't have expertise. Maybe she's fresh out of college and she shouldn't be perhaps the leader in a group of, of senior folks who are thinking about complex challenges she hasn't been exposed to. But let's say as you're trying to cultivate her year over year and give her more opportunities, what would you look back on in your experience and say could be helpful as we grow our, our community of next generation leaders? So I so appreciate the tee-up of the framework because I do think it's important to start by being rooted in a cultural understanding of the person you're engaging. And based on that, I might not even use the word power because mm. that could be a scary thing or feel like an inappropriate thing or not something that someone should be seeking. I derail the effort in a way. So just kind of understanding what someone's position is on that, I think is important. And then another way to kind of introduce the bigger picture here is understanding what they want to affect in the world. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to make possible? Like really anchoring on that and talking through, okay, well, what kind of actions need to be influenced in order to bring that future reality? to possibility. You know, what is your role in that? What is your network's role in that? What are the actions that you may want to inspire or see others take in order to make that all possible? And that's all talking about power without explicitly talking about power. (laughs) I love that. I can see exactly what you're saying. And it is going back to, I feel Simon Sinek has either been increasing his communications or the social media has figured out that I've been watching him because I hey. see him like in every <laughs> right. days, right? <laughs> Who knows what's real? Like, <laughs> like I've been seeing, know if it's an algorithm or reality. Right? I know. Have you been seeing a lot of him too? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh gosh. Well it just makes me think everything that you just shared does go back to his like what he became famous for. So starting with the why. And it's what do you want to affect in the world? And then then going to like, how do you want to do it? And what are some of the ways to do it? And then I think that ultimately, another word for power could just be influence. You know, how do you want to influence others to support you? How are you going to cheerlead? How are you going to rally? How are you going to persuade? And those are a little bit softer than power. Power can be a little bit of a trigger word. I hear what you're saying. But at the end of the day, we should also see if we can take out some of the power in trigger words. Right. right. So like Jen Risher, who was talking about, I think you met her recently or we talked together at the battery with her as she's talking about money. And she said, you know, let's take the power out of money and let's just put it in its place. It's just a currency. Mm-hmm. Right. So like same thing with power. Power is a currency. So it's how do we take out some of the taboo and how do we get a little bit more comfortable in our own skin and building confidence? Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like, Power is confidence. And confidence comes from knowing thyself or knowing the challenges, knowing your priorities. It's that same framework that you just shared. I mean, I also see power as freedom. It's freedom to do what you want to do that you think is important in the world and freedom to influence that into the world as well. Right. Right. Yeah. And to be able to navigate. Yeah, exactly. All right. So if you were to just say, I'm really great at one area of power, but I'd like to improve on another. Could Mm. you say what those two were? What's your strength and what's your area for improvement? Um, That's a great question. I think 
My strength is probably expertise because I, I am a self-described nerd. I like to go deep on things and nice. really kind of develop a, a position and a depth of understanding about things. And I have seen over time that I then do seem to attract others with an interest in that expertise. I think that I would want to get better at either reward or reference, probably Mm. reward. I think that it's just really easy to be going so fast all the time. And despite my whole life being committed to generosity, I feel like I still can just find more space to be more generous. Mm. You must be watching the same stuff from Simon Sinek as me because he was just talking about generosity last night. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. No, I gotta laugh. But I like what he said about this time of year when somebody is generous with you and they send you a package or a letter and then you haven't sent something back, you might feel this guilt or like, oh shoot, I need to reciprocate it now. And what he said is actually, no, it's not generosity needs to meet generosity, but in fact, it's generosity needs to meet gratitude. Mm-hmm. So what somebody who's, when somebody is giving the best way that you can acknowledge that giving and make them feel whole and like their gift was meaningful was through your gratitude and not necessarily through a con- equal gift or generosity point of generosity. So I liked that framing of, yeah. yeah, how to become more generous will become more grateful, right? Yeah. So like gratitude is something that's so easy to give with abundance. And that, I think that's what it is. And that's what I'm talking about here for myself, which is expanding emotional generosity. Oh, okay. What would that look like? I think it would look like taking more time to compliment or let people know that I'm thinking about them and like how in particular. Something I did in a recent board meeting to kind of try this on more as we took two minutes and had everyone just pick somebody else on the screen and in the private chat, just send them a message of gratitude. Oh, that's cool. And I like that exercise. It felt so good for all of us to just give out that expression with no Mm. expectation. And to warm up with something positive. Yeah. Hopefully there were meaningful and specific compliments too. I feel like that's the hook. That's the key. Well, it's an interesting time to be leading in virtual land, but that is, I like that tip. That's a great one. I'm going to take that one home with me as well. Thanks. We tried it on. It's great for everybody. (laughs) I love it. And especially when you're trying to lead in challenging times, it's, good to kind of just build in those opportunities for connection and generosity and positivity. Yeah. Spirit, like just a little bit of spirit, a little TLC to the human existence. Yeah. That's cool. That's a good one. So what have I not asked you that you would like to share about groups or power or influence? I mean, I think I'll just go back to exactly what you're touching on with Simon Sinek and the the original place Mm -hmm. and the why, you know, I just saw something come through from HBR saying, you know, you should try creating a mission statement for your family. And I was like, huh, 
what, what is that? That's interesting. And an idea of like really being rooted in as a family, you want to see happen in the world and how you'll do that together. I don't know that we all take enough time to really understand our whys well enough or to be able to articulate them for ourselves, let alone anybody mm-hmm. else. So really just creating the space to understand that. And then also how to, in a team environment, build that collectively. If you don't have that, you don't really have a team. Mm-hmm. Right? A, a bunch of individuals showing up with not an equal understanding of what you're showing up for, but really kind of making sure that there is a collective mission and a collective mm. set of values and a collective energy around those things. And that is what is so rewarding to being a part of teams. Yeah, I love that. Well, as you know, in fundraising, I think the best way to develop an awesome relationship with a funder is value-centric. And Mm -hmm. what is your mission, donor? And what is our mission? And how do they align? And where are the values that overlap? And then that's where you, you lead with that values. And you're sure to have a more positive relationship and likely long lasting philanthropic relationship as well. Totally. You know, every time I I spell this, I'm like, this might sound strange, but it's not about the money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's about what you're trying to do together, what the opportunity is. And do you want to do that together? First of all, what's possible and that co-creation is like so fun and such a wonderful and unique opportunity. Yeah, I know. I love it too. I feel like that's what's most rewarding about our work. So what gives you hope, Letty? Besides the vaccine? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Vaccine. You know, I actually, this is very related to this year that we've all experienced this very strange year. I think because of all the forced disconnection, the wave of connection to come is what gives me hope. I, love I think it. that uh, we all will just have such a much deeper appreciation for that. Not only people that are in our own networks or in our own circles, but just appreciation for other human beings who are mm. perhaps in different circumstances or places and how mm. important cooperation is to look at the whole is. Yeah. Less individualistic mentality. Yeah. Like we really are in this together. (laughs) Yes. My vaccine doesn't go very far without your vaccine. (laughs) And if you were to give a shout out and shed some love or some light on anyone, what would it be? Or anyone, anything, any concept? I think it would be very genuinely each of these teams that we've been talking about since that's what's so important for me as an individual. So, you know, my family team, my husband, Tom, and my son, Will, my mother and father-in-law, Pam and Rich, my sister-in-law, Chris, and her husband, JD, and their boys, Johnny and Hadley, like, just give me so much life every day. My work team at Berkeley is amazing. It's just, like, such an amazing crew the formal one, as well as the many teams that, that form around opportunity at mm-hmm. Cross University. There's SIGAP, the co-founders, Ben, Matt, Sharon, and Megan, and those who helped get us to the place where we are today. I'm just so excited and grateful for that 
excited for that group because that's what's coming. And then, you know, the battery team and the, the nonprofit teams, there's a lot of richness there. And I am so grateful for everybody. I love it. Well, you've got a lot of love to share and that's appreciated, I'm sure. So for any moment where you felt like you haven't given enough gratitude, I feel the shout outs are strong there. Yeah. There's always opportunity for more. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Letty, thank you so much for spending the morning with me and sharing the six types of power that you've been studying and how we can approach them. I appreciate your insights and the expertise that you bring to the table. And congratulations on such an incredibly successful year professionally and that you survived 2020, that you're alive and smiling is also an accomplishment. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Letty. I I appreciate you as a friend and a colleague in the space. And I love having you on as an interview guest. So thank you. I appreciate that you're doing this and putting this out there um, and kind of creating a community of people who want to do even more good in the world. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure and passion. So, (laughs) all right, Letty. Well, thank you. Hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.